welcome to another serving of Pagan Gumbo Podcast. This is Forrest. I'm here with Lisa, Michael, and Seamus. And uh, we're uh, continuing our discussion of death, dying, and the practices that surround it. And uh, we were uh, beginning in our last uh, serving to, to discuss ancestor worship. And I also wanted to hear from Lisa about the, the role of a death doula. Uh, which I had never even heard of before you introduced that into my consciousness. So so uh, take it away, Lisa. Well, before we get, I wanted to talk a little bit about ancestor worship. And I was, I was struck at the festivals I've gone to and the workshops presented there, how many people have led when somebody says, how do I get started? Almost, it might have been the kind of workshops I was going to, but almost all of them said, well, first make it alter to your ancestors um you know and how to do it and then it was a similar kind of thing get their pictures get their mementos get their belongings if you have them and set them in a place um and that was has become pretty much a universal thing in neo-paganism to to have a uh, a table for ancestors so the this concept of ancestor worship is seemingly new to neo-paganism but it's a very very old practice if you look at tribal cultures that we still know of today or in the ethnographic present as anthropologists would talk about it there are places where people would bury their ancestors their deceased under the floorboards of their hut or under the ground of their hut depending on how they were what their technology was so that way they had them close they were always with them um there's some cannibalistic funeral practices which we don't need to talk about now um in case people are eating um (laughs) Yeah, I have to do more research on those. But part of the purpose of those was to take part of your deceased, now deceased ancestor into you so you had them with you always. So this is a very, seems to be a very ancient practice that's now sort of coming full circle, at least in neo-paganism. We're not saying that neo-pagans are actually practicing cannibalistic... Golly, I hope they're not. <laughs> I hope they're not too. Um, so why is that a a commonly recurring suggestion when people want to begin a pagan path. Why, why ancestors? And, and part of my question is because so many of us, especially in contemporary Western culture, come from fractured families and come from families where not only being pagan, but being all kinds of different ways um, creates divides within those families. And so I, I know myself and and quite a few other people have a very hard time embracing the ancestor worship part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have to worship the the ancestors that you know. You can go back a few generations and you can say things artistically and poetically like all the mothers that brought me here or all the fathers that brought me here or things like that where you don't necessarily know them by name. If you get into trance work and journey work, you can maybe discover some of their names. Um, but you don't need to focus on just the ones that you know of. The other thing to remember is that um, there's a, a saying sometimes amongst those who do this kind of, some of this kind of work is that death brings perspective. And so once people have passed on, the things, not always, but the things that they thought were super important to be upset about while they were alive, no longer hold the same meaning as they get a broader perspective once they've passed on. So perhaps those things that were there was some animosity about before the person died might not be that big of a deal now that the person has died. 
you'd mentioned on the last episode about um, how we we go to um, funerals and and a lot of the 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 uh, the role of the funeral is to to give perspective and, and reassure people of their place in the world. Um, it, it's that compass and a map. I think one of the reasons why so many of us return to ancestor worship when it's like, well, what do I do? How do I get started? Is because there's such a known history throughout time of people who did ancestor worships. You know, um, I've got some notes here from something I did several years ago, and I, it was so funny because when you said that, I, that's what I got up the ground. Um, but you know, it was up, it was up to the first son, the eldest son, to know the names. Usually, um, they would do something uh, kind of like a dumb supper every month, and they would be required to know ten generations of names going back. And they would fix a small bowl with bread and flour, and they would they would feed. Um, the the, the idea is that you would be feeding your ancestors and honoring them. Um, so I think from that perspective of knowing your place in the world knowing who your ancestors were and being able to recite that in a time we didn't have uh, 23andMe or, or <laughs> Ancestry.com was important because then you could prove who you were and, were, and, and what you were a part of. And I think that has stayed with us somewhere in the recesses of our memories. So when people go, I don't know how to get started, what's well, such an easy thing to go, well, go with your ancestors. And I always tell people, well, go with your ancestors because they have a vested interest in your success. Gods and goddesses can be fickle. They may not want to listen to you. They may not care. But usually... They're busy running the universe. Or sleeping <laughs> with swans or turning into swans. To sleep <laughs> with people. Or running the universe right? in some way, shape, or form. But, yes. But, but ancestors always seem like that they, they would want your success, I would think, because your success is their success. So for someone who is approaching paganism and wants to participate in ancestor worship, but perhaps don't have a strong handle on what their ancestry is. For example, a lot of, of our black population is here in, in a circumstance where the part of the world where their ancestors came from is unknown uh, due to the, the circumstances of, of right. their being brought to this part of the world. Um, in other circumstances, um, people who have been adopted and anonymously, or like we were saying earlier, where there are just strained relationships within the family, what is what is your advice for people who are bridging that gap and still want to participate in some kind of ancestral worship? Ancestry is not all about blood to start with. Yeah. And that, I think that's the most important takeaway because... Yes, there are people who are adopted. Yes, there are people who there's no way they could ever know their ancestors. Um, you can have a general idea. You've got, as you said, 23andMe. You've got Ancestry.com. There's lots of ways to kind of get at general information. But even in the ancient world, ancestry was not about blood. It's never been about blood. Um, if you If you went to do ancestor worship, you could go to a shrine and you could find an heroic ancestor mm -hmm. that you could consider yourself to be part of or to have come from. Um, usually cities are founded by an individual, and by virtue of being a citizen of that city, you are related to that individual. 
um, you could go to a cult site for Heracles and honor Heracles as um, an ancestor, not just as a god, not just as a spirit of that place, but as an ancestor. Um, and no one ever checked your bloodline at the door, you know? Um, and then, even in the modern world, when we look at people who have really influenced us or who have really changed who we are, sometimes those people aren't related to us. Um, it could be a music teacher who had a, a deep influence on you. It could be a, um, a person that you consider a great person from history sure. um, that you might want to honor. A scout leader. Mm-hmm. There are lots of different places to go to tap into that ancestry. Um, and so you don't necessarily have to worry about whether or not you are truly bloodline related to an individual, um, which is one way to approach well, that. Well, I think if you're calling out to your your great-great-great-great-grandfather, you probably don't have any connection. Mm-hmm. You may, in, in our lives, have a picture, but, you know, a couple of generations further than that, you're not going to have a picture. Right. So you're calling out to an unknown anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's still the spirit of that. It's the idea of that. Or the, you know, I like the hero concept. Yeah. There's That's, also something about going back to the first ancestor. Mm-hmm. Um, if in the Norse pantheon there's ask an Ask an emblem. Ask an emblem, yeah. The trees that um, Odin made into people. And they would be our first ancestors. Um, in the more Semitic pantheon, Adam and Eve would be the first ancestors. So, um, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can get at that. Um, the other thing to think of is that ancestors, there's a, a theory that the gods that we worship now were actually humans who were honored ancestors after they'd passed and because they kept honoring them um they powered they've up. sort of yeah they sort of keep <laughs> they powering up, up and yeah. they le- yeah leveled up and so now they are seen as gods but maybe they were once humans and their families just kept remembering their name as we talked about in the last episode and one of the other things that i found really useful is sometimes you can join a community that has a community of ancestors or communal ancestors our grove, Three Cranes Grove, here in Columbus, um, has an ancestor box. And we place mementos from all of our ancestors into this box. We open it once a year to put new stuff in. Um, And in so doing, we kind of mix and mingle our ancestors. um, And we all get to partake in having those ancestors and having those connections as a result of that. And that's been been very powerful. And you can make an ancestor box of your own um, just for your family. Or if you have close friends, you can do that. It doesn't have to be a spiritual community necessarily to build something like that. Yeah, I think opening it up to a larger pool of those who have gone before and do not have to be related to you by blood is a really great access point for a lot of people who want to pursue paganism, but may not. Yeah, I don't look at my ancestors as mainly my blood ancestors. I look at a lot of them as non-blood ancestors. Mm-hmm. That's really, mm-hmm. that's, that's really, um, I don't know, freeing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have the perfect word for that, but I think that that part of the discussion is really important to have with, with people who feel like they're left out of that part of paganism. Well, I like Michael's idea about, you know, if, you've, if you're in a, a city to know, you know, learn about the history of that, you know, know that Sullivan Avenue was named after Mr. Sullivan. Know that these street names that we see in old Columbus are the founding people of, of uh, Columbus. And then go to 
Greenlawn Cemetery like mm-hmm. we do and mm-hmm. actually go to their graves and, 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 and tie that all together so that, um, you know, there's history there and there's the foundation of, of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great to, to have that tie-in. And I think you yeah. can do that on so many different levels. I think anybody who goes to a, a war m- uh, memorial uh, right. and, oh, definitely. And, and sees that and the sacrifice of, of those uh, who have fallen definitely feel that tie-in with those ancestors and that that sacrifice. Um, well, I mean, down, down at Greenlawn, you mentioned there's there's the Druid Monument down there. Sure, sure. And our grove is not at all tied to that Druid Grove in any way, shape, or form. Completely different tradition. That was a fraternal order, and sure. we're not. Um, but we go down there, and we honor them, and we clean up the, the cemetery from time to time. We do ritual down there. Um, and there's no connection mm-hmm. whatsoever, aside from the name Druid. Um, on the monument, they and kept the name alive. Exactly, yeah. but we we can still look at them, and even knowing nothing about them, we can say, you know what, we can we can keep your space clean. We can we can do the kinds of things that we think you would like, um, and it's been a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that brings up another interesting thing: is your ancestors of the the, the children that have passed on. Mm-hmm. You know that mm-hmm. you know I, I know people in my life who have lost uh, their firstborn and they still go to the grave uh, several times a year and they still mourn that loss but they still have that relationship and they the, in, in that weird way that they're they're elevated ancestors now yeah there's um since I, I seem to keep coming back to pop culture paganism references so I guess that's a point I'll talk to you again there's a show called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, uh, <laughs> yay. yay. Um, in part of the storyline, a character who was adopted, um, actually not adopted, came through the foster care system and, and never did have a sense of actual family growing up, um, comes to discover that there was this entire time of, of her development where the entire uh, organization, the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization, um, was protecting and caring for and, and housing and, and making sure that she was kept safe until her adulthood. And uh, and it was one of those moments where it was like, yeah, okay, ancestry or the ascended, those who have gone before, those who, when you said war memorial, that's what brought it to mind. Right. It was this notion of people who put themselves in harm's way specifically so that those who will live on afterwards Absolutely. will be okay. Absolutely. I have a bit of a druid heresy in that I think that the gods and goddesses are not all that important to our daily lives. I know. We're certainly not important to them. Well, so. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's I, up for debate. That's a whole other uh, topic about, <laughs> sure. about why we have patron deities. But um, the ancestors want their line i mean that's be fruitful and multiply the the even in science the why organisms do what they do is to pass their dna on Mm -hmm. so we're just all basically complicated dna passers honors but (laughs) are you going to the little death is this where no no that's 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 the beltane um additions just curious (laughs) so you know they're their job was to pass their DNA on, you know, and that, that get, brings it back to the bloodline. But if you can, you can broaden it up to ideas and their memories and keep their memories alive. And we have to be here keeping the memories alive for that to happen. So you can broaden it outside of, of bloodline. 
Um, so they really have a vested interest in us doing well. And so they're, to me, somewhat more important in my own hearth practice than the gods and goddesses are. Yeah, and I'll, I'll point out, I, I danced around this point earlier, but I'll, I will point out specifically for adoptions that in the ancient world there is no difference between an adopted oh. child and a, a natural child, and nor should there be. Um, even today, legally, there is mm-hmm. no actual difference. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much fostering. and Exactly. And fostering is a little bit different than deaths, adopting, but it's uh-huh. still vitally and, important. And kids who didn't have parents and parents right. who didn't have any kids anymore. There's all sorts of that. Parental yeah. figures being not necessarily the biological mother and father, Correct. but very often the mother and the mother's brother. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it can't be stressed, I don't think, at all enough that biology has very little to do with ancestry in the ancient world it's all about family connections and how you are connected to other people Mm. has nothing to do with who from whose loins you may have sprung (laughs) so much as how good of a person you are and how how connected you are to that community so uh, if, it's, if this is a good turning point, I would love to ask you, Lisa, about your experience as a death doula and what, in fact, a death doula may be. So um, one of the things that and I, I was looking at my notes before we got together and I don't know where I, I always like to cite my sources and I can't find the source, but I will hopefully find it. And if people email, I'll, I'll send it to them. Um, so the baby boomers, which we can talk about all sorts of things, but one of the things the baby boomers did is they decided that this medicalized birth was not for them. And so that's where we get the beginnings of natural childbirth, the re-beginnings of natural childbirth, the um, uh, bringing breastfeeding back into being normal rather than this weird thing that people did because for, uh, for as many people may or may not know, there's a small period of time, I don't know how long, how many periods of time, but where birth happened, mom was anesthetized and woke up and had a baby. And uh, it all happened while she was out. Um, breastfeeding was seen to be unnatural. And that's where we get formula and things like that. And so when baby boomers at some point said, no, we don't like that, and brought, basically brought choice back into birthing. So you could have that if you wanted, but then we want these different types of birthing experiences, Lamaze classes and birthing rooms rather than hospital rooms and home births and the reintitution, the re, um, reintegration of midwives, the reintroduction of midwives into the birthing process. And so as options for this very important, your first rite of passage is your birth. And so um, that very important period the baby boomers sort of pushed this sort of idea that no, we want to have choice. We want to have a more natural experience. So the theory is that our last rite of passage, our death, um, we have a concept of what happens, right? Um, we go to the funeral home. Uh, we're laid out in preservative and people stare at us for a while. And then um, we have, there's a, some sort of serve ritual, which I talked about, I think at the last episode. Um, and then we're put into the ground in a, in a sealed casket in this concrete vault and underneath the ground. And that's, that's our, our view of what funerals are like. Um, 
And as the baby boomers have aged, that thought process of we want more choices and a less, a more organic experience with birth has sort of translated to we kind of want a more, more choices and more organic experience with death. And I think I think that's what's really pushing the envelope to broaden our options at the end of life, just like we broadened our options at the beginning of life. Um, yeah, like ahead. you said, though, you, you said that childbirth was a very small amount of time that, the, you know, historically, you know, where you're talking maybe 75 years where the woman would be, you know, put the under maybe, and, yeah. and, and, you know, we use that for okay. the same, the same for the, the, um, the experience of, of death and oh, funeral yes. homes and all this. I mean, that, that only started around recent. what the civil war, the civil war was the, the invention of embalming. I'm sorry, that too. Um, so for most of our human history, we watched people be born. It wasn't necessarily an unusual thing. I mean, maybe you, not everybody might have been gathered in the room, but people had experience with seeing birth. People also had experience with seeing death. Um, people died. People were laid out in their in their homes, or however, whatever the the structure decided. But none of these were foreign experiences, and we sort of reintroduced this, reintroduced this notion of birth being more normal. But we still death is still behind that sort of curtain, and so part of the movements towards reimagining funerals is pulling that curtain back and making death more of a normal part of life than like we've done with birth. Um, so yes, in the civil war, we invented embalming because we had to figure out a way to get the soldiers home for their home funerals. Um, at that time. And I don't have the dates with me. Um, if you died, you'd be laid out in the parlor. Where we get the name funeral parlor from? Oh wow! Okay. That's that front room in the house that nobody goes into. <laughs> anybody's grandma, anybody had their house? Still their had the plastic house, on the furniture. Still had the plastic. My grandma's house had, had the plastic on the furniture, um, on the lampshades. But nobody went in the front room, and this was well past the time of funeral home funerals. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the, the custom was that was the front room. Nobody went in there. We all went into the living room. So we had the funeral room, the parlor, which is where. You, the dead folks go and the living room that comes from where the living folks are oh wow which is basically like the rec room now yeah i had no idea um so but the deceased would be brought into the house would be bathed would be kept people would see it um and then the undertaker would come and take um off to the take the body off to the graveyard um or you'd go to church probably and have your funeral church and then be buried in the churchyard right there because that was convenient um so there is a there's movements to return to some of that stuff um you see there's a concern about green burials not just cremation which still puts a whole lot of pollutants into the atmosphere uh, but green burials which you can go there's a couple in ohio um there's one that was supposed to be hoping to be started in central ohio i don't know where she is on that i'll have to ask um where you can be buried with no embalming, no casket, you in a shroud, and into the earth, and usually a GPS locator, or your GPS location is recorded. So if somebody wants to come and pay their respects, come for a visit, they give you the GPS coordinates, and and you can go there. Can we make it a 
Pokemon Stop. Oh, oh yeah, it does sound a lot like Pokestop, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's up to somebody else. Um, so part of Death Doulas or Death Midwives are part of that, where our job is to help the dying pass over in a respectful, calm... The, the goal is, is, I like to call it, is a good death, where one is not scared or in pain or hasn't been um, scared and in pain for a long time. Um, it works really well with hospice stuff, where people want to die naturally. Right. Um, but then also for the living, to kind of support them. So when their loved one is, has, is passing, to be there as a support for them and help them negotiate some of these pitfalls of the modern funeral industry and decide help them decide what it is they actually want to have happen rather than just what the common thing that everybody does happen right um some things that uh you you don't have to be embalmed Mm -hmm. there's no law in any state that says you have to be embalmed with a couple of if if you're going to be transported over state lines Mm -hmm. usually they'll want to embalm you right and that's that's possible. That's a, a thing that has to happen. Um, the grave liners, the concrete vaults, those are not necessary, um, except for keeping landscaping, keeping the ground level. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we do, as in the funeral industry, has made us think we need to have happen, right? And we don't. Okay. And if you want that, that's fine. And if if I'm your death doula, if that's what you want, then that's what we'll do. Um, if that's not what you want, then my job is to tell you what the other options are and to help you in navigating those. Well, I think it's all upselling, you know, in, in that industry. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, it is I just like, you know, I mean, what's the average cost of a birth now? Yeah. You know, compared yeah. to what it was, you know, 25 years ago, well, what's the average cost of a death? You know, because it's become an industry. You you have to have the concrete. You have to have an oak or a cherry with brass, and you have to have the extra lining. You have to have the, you know, I mean, the you beauty. can't even you can't even have a funeral if you're cremated. If you want a showing, they'll rent you a coffin. Right. And but they don't have to. But they don't have to. And that's something where an impartial third person can kind of when when you're grieving you're just you're sort of on autopilot and so if someone tells you to do something that this this is the common thing this is the package that we have right this that's is our, easy right and that's and that's fine and that's that's you know for some for some folks that's exactly what they need but an objective third person whether it's a friend whether it's a death doula whether it's a, a member of clergy whoever it is who can sit down and say okay wait what it is what is it that you really want what is it that we really need to have by law and what is it that you really want? And that's kind of the purpose of that. And that just comes out of, like I said, I think, again, comes out of the movement away, choice in birth, choice in death. Mm-hmm. Well, you had mentioned something uh, when you come back from the, the one thing that just boggled my mind, that you, you should never walk barefoot through a cemetery <laughs> anymore. Oh, my goodness. There's a, a And uh, Angie's probably listening, so I'm going to tell her story, but someone had told her that she had walked barefoot through the cemetery and she felt all tingly because and she said, is this the ancestors? And it's not, it's the formaldehyde that gets placed <gasps> seeping through the it ground. Seeps, it seeps through the, 
coffins that are not as airtight as you think. Oh. And then, I know this is gross. People, I hope people aren't eating. Um, and then concrete is porous. If anybody's been around concrete, you know, it's, so it's all that stuff that kind of seeps and gets into the grass. And so, you know, some of these cemeteries are very, very, um, very poisonous in some ways. Yeah. Well, look at the animals that's around the cemeteries. They're all weird looking. It's all that. Huh? It's all the poison there. They look like the fish from The Simpsons. Oh, the no. three-eyed fish. Cut that part out. <laughs> That's interesting to know, especially if you're someone who does conjure and root work and you, you well, collect yeah, if you're collecting graveyard, graveyard dirt. Dust. Yeah. Um, keep that in, keep that in mind, folks. Dirt, though, I mean. <laughs> and some people are very, they want their family member to look the way they looked. And there's, I'm, you know, I'm not saying if there's anything necessarily wrong with that that if that's what somebody wants to have happen yeah, but to have they, the choice is a good should, thing i know it's choice. always it's always bothered me even from when i was a real little kid it's mm-hmm. always bothered me the notion that we have um preservatives and big expensive coffins and all of this stuff surrounding the, the process of putting a dead body away mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's part of our fear and that's because yeah. we we're divorced from honoring our ancestors, I think, mm-hmm. um, as we've already talked about. There's ways to do that. I think it is part of honoring the, the, the recently deceased, though, right? Right. This starts the path to ancestor right. honoring. I don't want I don't want my grandfather to have a cheap burial. I want him to have the best, whatever I can afford. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, how do we do them honor? How do we pay pay our respects in a way that feels adequate? We talk to them. <laughs> Seriously, we talk to them yes. before they die. Yes, if they're if they're in a position to tell us before mm-hmm. they die, which you know, ideally, yes, they can kind of give us a plan for all that. That's not always. Yeah, Dad wanted it. He was like, "Bury me in the backyard." I'm like, "I don't think we can do that." But that you can't do usually. Right. Yeah. My um, dad was was very clear. What he wanted was he wanted his his coffin and his headstone from Uncle Sam. It's the only thing it was the last thing the government ever wrote him. That's what he wanted. That's right. Um, <laughs> so he that's deserved. What he got. It. That's yeah. right. They, um, that's another thing, much like there's home births, there's a movement for home funerals mm-hmm. where, once again, as we did once before, the funeral happens in the parlor or wherever that is in modern houses. Um, there's ways to mitigate certain biological things that happen upon death, and so, um, you can still make that happen. Um, and people can come to the house. Um, a lot of people say they want to have an Irish wake. Well, that's we can have that. Uh, an Irish wake was at the house, and um, very similar to what the what modern home funerals are like. Okay. Let's pick this up on the third installment, and, and um, it doesn't have to. There's <laughs> at least three on this because we haven't even talked about customs and, and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Um, so we can always come back to that okay, and, sounds good. And, and add wakes because there's a lot of stuff with the party glass and, and different things mm-hmm. like that. But even this episode's a half hour instead of the oh, 15 goodness. minutes. So. Well, there's some stuff to cut out. Yeah, well, not that much, but we'll, uh, we'll continue in part three in 3D. Ooh. Three, 3D? Three death episodes? Yeah. All three. <laughs> You've been listening to the Pagan Gumbo podcast. Uh, supported by the Magical Druid Store here in Clintonville, Columbus, Ohio, by the beautiful Olentangy River. But no longer under the steps. 
no longer under the steps. Yeah, we're upstairs now. Oh, oh that's right. We're up. not in the basement anymore, you guys. And also supported by Nui Cobalt Designs, your purveyors of chic and and unique magical and mystical sundries. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.